once read a story about a little boy who was uh, learning how to tie his shoes. And one day, he got it. As soon as he got it, he started to cry. Mom and Dad said, what's wrong? He said, now I'm going to have to do it every day the rest of my life. (laughs) You ever feel like that? The Christian life is so daily. I don't know about you, but I always feel a lot like uh, Grandfather Clock. I always feel like I'm swinging through balance. And then always coming back to balance, always coming back to what God has for us. And I want to talk to you today about how to handle finances wisely. Last week we talked about handling favor wisely. Uh, Next Sunday, Steve's going to talk to us about his sabbatical. And uh, we're just learning some things. And I shared last week that one of the subjects that I feel like it's important for us to talk about today is this subject. Friends, you know right now that in our city, there's a lot of tension over the future. Jobs, money, what's going to happen in our economy, stock market going up and down. And so this is a subject that's on everybody's mind, whether you have a little or a lot. It can be a subject of incredible stress and strain. But if you were to ask me over the last, you know, 20 years, being one of the pastors here, one of the smartest things we've been able to do as a church, I would tell you that it's about talking about how to handle finances wisely almost every year. Because that's a subject that no matter how good you are at it or how poor you are at it, we can all get better. I don't know about you, but I feel like when it comes to finances, I'm always swinging through balance. I'm always learning how to come back to growing more in that area, and I realize just how daily it is. Does anybody relate to the fact that you, you feel like there's all kinds of different things that you're pulled towards? or that you're drawn to, and you go, like, okay, like, what am I supposed to do? So here's what I want to do to just launch this message today. If you're following along in the notes, here's the question I want you to think about with me today. What kind of person do I want to be? What kind of person do I want to be? Because that will go a long way. You see that arrow that follows after that question? That'll go a long way towards influencing, determining, shaping how I handle money. When you have a certain picture in your mind of who you can be, then many times, even when you're discouraged, it keeps pulling you forward. It keeps helping you. And I was thinking about this, that Jesus, of all the subjects he talked most about, you've probably heard this before, it was money. What does he know about us? 2,000 verses in the New Testament in his teaching were about money. But I want to make sure I tell you this next thought. He usually did not make pronouncements or just flat statements. He told stories. And he cast vision towards a picture of the kind of people we could be. In a way, he was saying, you choose what kind of person you want to be. Do you want to live just for this world? Play it all the way out. Follow that one. Do you want to live in a way that I am leading your life? Play that all the way out. What kind of person do you want to be? And so I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Proverbs. It's near the middle. Psalms, Proverbs is usually in the middle of the Bible. We're going to look at Proverbs 3. And as you're turning there, if you don't have a Bible, but you want to use one of the black Bibles nearby in the seat racks, it's on page 439, Proverbs 3. 
As you're turning there, does anybody know what the book of Proverbs, what its main purpose in the Bible is, why God's placed it there? What does it teach us? Wisdom. Wisdom. It's all about wisdom. Solomon, King Solomon says, I want to teach you how to be wise. So I know people that don't even believe in God, that sometimes read Proverbs because they just want to get wiser. Now, I will tell you that the key to wisdom, according to Proverbs, is reverence for the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So just know that this is a book that was designed that. Now, here's another thing about where we're turning. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10 is what we're going to look at today. You know, that comes after Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. And some of you know that Proverbs 3, 6 is probably one of the most influential verses in my life on a daily basis. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, the Lord, and he will direct your paths. He'll also straighten your crooked paths. Boy, do I need that. So one of the ways we acknowledge the Lord is with our finances. When he's the Lord, he's the Lord of it all. And it's an interesting thing. I don't know if you would agree with this, but I have learned more about following Jesus through handling money than almost anything else. It's taught me more about character. It's taught me more about trust, obedience. It's taught me more about patience, contentment. It's taught me all kinds of lessons of Christian life. Jesus knows this. So I want to talk to you about handling finances wisely, and I want to tell you that the reason why Jesus teaches us these things is not because he wants something from us so much as he wants something for us. See, when you and I trust our lives to him, he'll help us. So I'm going to look at these verses together here. I want to ask you by starting, would you read Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 in that first gray box there at the top? Let's read it together and think about God's wisdom for us. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will be bursting with wine. When I think about the kind of person I want to be, one of the stories in the New Testament that I love is in Luke 19. It's about a guy named Zacchaeus. And I don't like that story only because he was short, okay? <laughs> I like that story because of the person that he became. Here was a guy that was a crook. Here was a guy that was greedy. Here was a guy that lived for himself. He meets Jesus, has lunch with him. We don't even know what they talked about. But this guy comes out and says, I've changed my mind about the way I'm going to handle money for the rest of my life. From now on, I'm going to care about the poor. I'm going to make things right that I was wrong in the way I treated people to be greedy. And I am going to honor the Lord with my money. And that picture inspires me all the time. Because I think about that picture. And friends, I just want to tell you, over the years, I've watched so many people in this church family not only get free, but move into dimensions of growing with Christ through the handling of money and the issues and the challenges that come with that. And please know, this is not something where you and I get to a point where we never, ever struggle again. That won't be till heaven. We will all be like grandfather clocks at times, won't we? We will all be having to go through that, but what's going to keep pulling us back to the picture God has for us? It's staying close to God's wisdom. So here's the picture. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. This is wisdom. So let's unpack it, okay? First, what does it mean to honor? If you're following along, 
the word in Hebrew there in the Old Testament means to make heavy or give weight to. To make heavy or give weight to something. It means to make it substantial. It means to be influenced by something. If something's weighty in your life, it's a big rock rather than a little rock. It has this kind of influence and uh, authority over you that's bigger than just a little rock kind of authority over you. So the idea here is if you want to honor the Lord, if you want to make him big in your life, if you want him to be the most important thing in your life, then honor him, it says, if you want a real practical way to do that, honor him with your wealth. And some of us, as soon as we hear that, we go, I'm not wealthy. I won't have to worry about that. I will remind you that almost every one of us in this room is in the top 6% of the world's wealth. If you're an American and you make over $25,000, you make more than over 90% of the world. We are wealthy, but that's not what this word means. Notice if you're following along, it means everything we own not being wealthy. So when it says, honor the Lord with your wealthiness, that's not what it means. It means honor the Lord with everything you have. Everything that's been given to you, whether it's a little or a lot, whether it's what you want or not what you want, start with where you are. In fact, look at the second gray box there. Let's read it. That's the message paraphrase of the same verse. Honor God with everything you own. Wow. Now, this is, this is like learning to tie our shoes, isn't it? He says, I want you just to start right where you are. Say, but I don't have the job I want yet. I haven't had the promotion. I, you know, I'll just tell you, I, I started when I was a kid in fourth or fifth grade delivering papers. Then I cut lawns. Then I worked in a department store. My parents taught me, even before that, when they gave me an allowance, they just started where they are. They said, look, we want to teach you how to honor the Lord, whether you have a little or a lot. Start where you are, everything you own. How do we do that? Okay. Notice this, if you're following along, is that God owns it all and trusts us to steward it all with him. God owns it all and trusts us to steward or manage it all with him. I could say a lot of things right here, but let me just say this. When, when Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, I think that's pretty comprehensive. That means you and me and everything in it belongs to him. We're accountable to him. He made us. We belong to him. But then, if you're a follower of Christ, you know that you've come to the cross and recognized that although you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, God, in his justice and grace, provided Jesus Christ to shed his blood as a payment for the penalty and the consequences of your sin and mine. He made us heavy. And that has had a ripple effect on people for centuries. When you realize that God could have made us a little rock but he made us a big rock in his heart and he gave us his son, his best. Oh my goodness, that calls for an echo. That calls for a response. And then when we realize that he says, now I did that not just to take you to heaven, but now every moment of your life, I want to teach you how to do it with me. Not independent of me, but with me. And that includes everything. In all your ways, acknowledge him. 
Learn how to be wise in all your ways, including the way you handle money. So one of the most revolutionary things that will ever grab you or me is that God owns it all. We're just his managers. It's on loan. We have it for a time. He can give it. He can take it away like we learned last week with favor. But what we do with it while he entrusts it to us is huge. And friends, I don't know about anything that builds character more than that. This is not for the faint of heart. These are lessons that they can be challenging at times, can't they? They require our best thinking. They require creativity. They require our patience, our diligence, our character. And so when he says that, he says, look, but I want you to have a portion because I'm a God that wants to teach you how to become a bigger person, a bigger person, not a smaller person. So when you see that, the question becomes, how do we do that? Well, over the years, we've um, offered several ways. Um, in my billfold, I'll just show you, I, I have this little post-it note right inside here. And uh, I, I, uh, I, I've had it for several years now. I had a buddy that told me that once he realized is that everything belonged to the Lord's, he said that didn't compute necessarily right away. So what he did, since he's so literal, is he actually took post-it notes and he started placing it on things. So he put one in his car. This is the Lord's. He put one in his closet. This is the Lord's. He put one, you know, uh, in his, on his refrigerator. This is the Lord. Everything he had. He just said, I just want to remember this is from you. Everything I have is a gift from you. I received it. And so when he did that, so, I, so in my billfold here, I said, remember, this is the Lord's. I'm his steward. Make him heavy. Wow. I want to honor the Lord with this. I have one in my checkbook. I try and just remember, oh my goodness, I am, I have a role to play in his kingdom. And I'll just stop and tell you this, that one of the pictures that continues to influence me every time I open my billfold or write a check is the picture of this question. Years ago, across the ticker of my mind, this thought occurred to me. Jeff, do you want to be a holding tank or do you want to be a pipeline? And I remember thinking to myself, I want to be a pipeline. I don't want our culture defining that I'm a consumer, that my highest goal in life is to become a comfortable consumer. I want my life to be defined by God's larger vision, that he wants to make me a kingdom contributor, that he wants me to be a pipeline, blessed to be a blessing like we saw last week with Esther. And so when you and I live that way, that picture keeps pulling us forward to keep growing. How can I do that? How should I organize my finances? What should I do? What strategy should I have? So over the years, we've shared this. And a guy just yesterday at the men's breakfast said to me, he says, he says man, every time you say that 10, 10, 80, that is powerful. That's given me a starting point. And he said, it's been helpful. And even, you know, for kids, that's something we can teach our kids. So here we go. If you're following along, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but here is what a lot of Christian counselors would say. If you're interested in getting wiser and handling your money, here's a starting point. The 10, 10, 80 plan can adjust as my heart grows. What I love about this is that you can move these percentages. You can change them if you want, depending on where your heart is. Your heart can keep growing. And so I know people that don't have a 10-10-80 plan. I know people that do a 50-10-40 plan. I know people that do a 10-30-60 you know, plan. I mean, it's a lot of different things, but you can take kids, give them 10 dimes, and you can teach them this. That's how simple this is. No matter how complex your situation is, 
And so, again, when the 10108 plan, I've taught on this before, Steve's taught on this before. Here's what, if you want to go to the archives on our website, I wrote this date down. This was a message that a number of people told me they made some choices that helped them uh, for years to come. January 8, 2012, in our archives, if you go to the website, cherryhillsfamily.org, under Media and Messages, January 8, 2012, talks a lot about how to have a plan like the 101080 plan and how to follow through. The next thing that under that is what does that mean? So we need to all learn how to give, save, and live within our means, right? How do we do that? So Christian counselors would say, based on the reading of the scripture, uh, give the first 10% and offerings to the Lord. Give the first 10% and offerings to the Lord. Leviticus 27.30 says the tithe belongs to the Lord. A 10% of everything you have immediately should be returned to the Lord. It belongs to the Lord. Malachi 3.8, look at what it says here. It says, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me, but you ask, how are we robbing you? Notice this next phrase. Let's say it together. In tithes and offerings. Now someone says, what's a tithe? Tithe just means tenth. It's 10%. He's saying, you guys, you guys aren't, you stop doing that. You're not doing that anymore. And so tithes and offerings is, again, one of those things that God uses as training wheels to grow us up. From time to time, I run into people that go, well, that's Old Testament law. And I'm, I'm, I'm under grace. Now, I don't need to do that. Two things. One, it was done and practiced before the law was ever given. Abraham in Genesis 14 did it. His son did it. It's something that has always been an honoring mark to God. Also, Jesus in Matthew 23 and Luke upholds the tithe. He said, this is something you should continue to do. It's pleasing to God. So all kinds of things come up. The second thing, by the way, is, is that when uh, someone ask me that, the very first question that almost always goes through people's mind, I can tell after a service when they come up, I can almost tell what they're going to say. They're going to go, gross or net? <laughs> okay? I think it's a fair question. It means that they're thinking it through. And here's what I want to say. In the United States, the average American, even including Christians in churches, give 2.4% to charitable income. We're the wealthiest nation in the world and we give 2.4% of our income to charitable things, church and otherwise. Huh. So let me just say this. If you decide to give 10% of net or gross, you're way down the line towards moving towards what God wants. It's up to you. You decide. What do you want to do? I had a friend that used to say, do you want gross blessings or net blessings? Jeff, you decide. <laughs> that always made me laugh. The point is, is what God's saying is, look, get started. Get started. Do something like that. Here's why. Because, not because we're trying to like make God love us, because God already loves us. We're, we're doing this out of an act of trust and obedience. We want God to be involved in all of our finances. And so the very first thing we want to do is make sure that we give the first part to him. Second, save the next 10% for the future if you're following along. Save the next 10% for the future. Have you seen this verse up here, Proverbs 21, 20? I, I read this years ago. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. What kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be a person that's wise and saves for the future, or do you want to be a foolish person that spends all you get, paycheck to paycheck? I know some people will say, well, I don't make enough money. Some people make more money. Friends, a lot of times that's not it. It's not the amount of money. It's a spending problem in many cases. There are exceptions. But just know this. The average American is spending 120% of their monthly income every month. That, that math doesn't eventually work real well. See? And at some point, you got to say, I'm getting off that crazy train. 
I want to learn how to have the character to save for the future like the ants do as they prepare for winter. Third thing is, is to live within my means and share the other 80%. To live within my means and share the other 80%. Now again, these percentages may not be you. You may be in a situation where you're so much in debt that you may ask yourself, like, what do I do in those cases? Well, according to Dave Ramsey and others, they would say, still make sure you honor God first. You want him to be involved in your finances. But they would say is, is they actually learn how to live more simply. If you can do free things like the library or learn how to, you know, like people did during the Depression, learn how to be content with what you have. One of the greatest witnesses in the world is when a person is content and they don't have to keep running after all these things because God has finally settled down their heart so they don't have to be greedy anymore. And it's a testimony of God's grace in our lives when that happens. But the the thing is, is that part of saving for the future, uh, there's several things we can talk about. I'll bring it up. But if you want to see this website, this may be helpful to you, DaveRamsey.com. Um, this is a really helpful thing. I just reread his book this week. I would just tell you, go to this website. It has all kinds of great tools. If you're buried in debt right now, then you need to know that there are seven baby steps that you can take to take control of your finances. And I'm telling you what, you may be one of those people that write Dave Ramsey or me a story and says, man, this began to turn my life around. Remember, God wants something for you, not from you. He wants to develop in you the kind of dignity where you walk with your shoulders up, your head held high because you're honoring him and handling money the way he's asked you to. Oh, wow. And then again, there's budgeting tools, all kind of thing. One more thing. Inside your bulletin and the inside panel, the last paragraph there, you'll see that two weeks from yesterday, we're offering a three-hour seminar free of how to help get the basics of getting control of your finances here at the church. If you sign up for that, you will not be asked to give any of your personal information or disclose that. We want to help you. See, we don't want to just talk about this subject. We want people to grow and get better. And to the extent that we've done that at Cherry Hills at all, the stories that have come back over the last 20 years have been some of the most neat stories I've ever heard of of people growing in Christ. So just know that those are some ideas, okay? So um, let's go on with this verse. You notice the next phrase? Oh, by the way, let me stop. Um, Leviticus 23, 22. You notice how I said sharing the other 80%? Um, This is a powerful verse. It says, when you harvest the crops of your land. Again, God's speaking to people in terms they understand. People's wealth was crops, clothes, and livestock. This is the day and age before that money was used the same way. So you traded in livestock or you gave someone a set of clothes or you gave them some of your share of your crops. So he says, when you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field and do not pick up with the harvester's drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. Years ago, my dad showed me this Bible verse. You know, it's kind of an obscure Bible verse, isn't it? And he said to me, he said, Jeff, isn't it interesting how God had a heart for the poor? And then he said this. He said, Jeff, how big's an edge? He said, it's as big as your heart. If God's heavy in my life, it'll change the size of the edge. 
And when you and I as a church family get going, sometimes we can get so caught up with, am I doing okay? That we forget that there is a whole group of people in our community, the working poor, that are doing the best they can and they need us to share in some ways. And we try and do that. If you give to Cherry Hills, there's six or seven ministries that touch people in this city. Maybe you also volunteer. But the idea is, is if we ever lose our heart and concern for the poor, friends, God's blessing will not be on our church. It can't be. Because that's a greedy spirit rather than a humble, tender spirit like his. I love Galatians 2.10. Paul, after the apostles told him that he was doing what he was supposed to be doing in the ministry and they gave their approval to his ministry to the Gentiles, they said this, their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. Cherry Hills, individuals in Cherry Hills, let's keep on helping the poor when we think about how we handle finances. Amen? Let's be that kind of church. Okay, here's the next thing. Okay, so here's what he says. With the first fruits of all your crops. Hmm. You might want to circle the word first fruits there. Notice again, it says all your crops. It doesn't just say some of them. But with the first fruits. Now, again, most of us don't farm. So we're not used to what the first cut of a harvest might be like. We're not used to seeing that. Some of you have gardens. So you may remember what some of the first, you know, fruits of your gardening efforts may be. But here's what this idea has. It has two ideas if you're following along. The idea is, is to be wise, give to God first. If you're following along, give to God first. Matthew 6.33 says, Don't be like the pagan that runs after clothes and what shall I eat, what shall I drink, what shall I wear. Look, God knows you need all those things, he says. It's not that God doesn't understand we need those things. But if they like become the supreme pursuit of your life, your whole life will get out of whack. Therefore, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and God will help you get the other things in the right order. He'll provide, he'll supply, but give to God first. Now this, friends, this is where I just need to be honest with you. The first year that Trish and I were married, we had been taught, both of us, hadn't we, honey, by our parents to give God the first 10%. I remember the very first dime that I would get or the quarter or whatever. And then when I made more money, depending whatever the percentage was, we've been taught to do that. When we got married, though, however, um, you know, I think we were making like five or $6,000 that year in the 1980s. And so I remember thinking to myself, I got to really think more strategically than that because I, I think I can make the money go farther. So what I did is I took money that might have been used for our tithe, and I really liked Chuck Swindoll's teaching in those days, so I started buying his tapes. And I just started listening to those, and I, I justified that I was doing that because I'm trying to grow in the Lord. Finally, one day, Trish said, um, Jeff, are we going to like give, uh, are we going to tithe to our church like we were taught? Are we going to, the, the God's house, are we going to give to the place that we're serving? He says, you know, I don't mind you buying those tapes, but let's not buy it with God's money. Let's give the time. And I mean, I, I realized that I had just gotten loose in the turn. I, my, my pendulum had just swung that way. And so she was really good for me. And since that day, it's been so helpful that, that it, even when it's been super challenging, even when we didn't know how we were going to do it, we gave to God first. Do you realize what an act of faith and obedience this is? Some of you don't have a consistent income. So you have to figure out, my grandfather was a farmer. He had to learn how to tithe on last year's income and trust to 
that it was going to be something close to the coming, whatever it might be. But here's the thing. Most of the time what we do is say, God, if there's any left over, I'll think of you. He says, that doesn't make me feel real heavy in your life. Do the very first thing. How do we do this? There's a man in this church that says, Jeff, I am so forgetful. I finally stumbled on to online banking, how it could help me. So I automatically make this an amount, that I, the percentage that God wants me to give. I just make that part. It goes out. As soon as my automatic deposit hit, it goes to the church or whatever ministries wants to go to. That's a really cool thing, isn't it? Uh, for me, I, I do a lot of online banking, but I've noticed that I, I need something tangible. So I remember writing that check each time I get paid because for me, it's kind of an act of worship. See, in three services, I don't get to put it in the offering plate a lot of times. So the one way I can be tangible is that I can write that. And just, it's just so good. Give to God first. And that really just is an act of faith of saying, I'm going to trust that with the rest, he's going to help me and he's going to provide. Second thing is, is to be wise, give God the best you have. Give God the best you have. What I never understood, my dad and other people have helped me understand because he grew up in a farming family. The first fruits were usually the best of the whole crop. When they harvested, they usually the first cut out of the field were some of the best of their whole field. Now that's interesting. I don't know what your heart, how your heart thinks, but I tend to think, God, I'll be glad to give you some of it. Just don't ask me to give the best. I wanted the best. And God says, would you trust me with the best? Will you trust that I'll come through? Years ago, I once heard someone talk about Malachi 1. Have you seen these verses before? The book of Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. We just looked at a verse from there. But God, one of the reasons that prophet is there is because God's people had stopped making him heavy, and it was hurting his heart. It was hurting their relationship. So he said, let me give you some specific examples of how you stop making me heavy in your life. He says, when you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says Lord Almighty? He's trying to say, like, try serving that for dinner with your governor. He wouldn't, like, be impressed. And so what this meant was this. The people said, okay, I'll give something to God, but I'm going to wait until there's some animal in my flock that's about to keel over and die. That, that, not, that way, I won't have to, I'm not going to get much for it at the market anyway. And then I'll give that to God. God says, I asked for an unblemished lamb. I asked for your best. Because when you do that, you know in your heart I'm important to you. It's tangible. Therefore, give me your best. And friends, when you and I begin to do that, the kind of worship, you know, we think it's the end. It's actually the beginning. It opens us up into becoming bigger people that get first things first and things in the right priority. This is incredible wisdom. Is it easy? No. It's like learning to tie our shoes, but we can learn how to do it, and it can be an adventure. By the way, some people say, Jeff, this sounds all quite morbid. Do you have any fun? <laughs> A lot of fun. What I've found is that once I have put God first, and let him be in charge of finances. There's room for us to do crazy fun things. Last year on sabbatical at a restaurant, I'd never done this before. I don't recommend doing this all the time. Our daughter-in-law was with us. I ordered five appetizers. Her eyes got this big. And I only did that because I thought, I want to make a memory they'll never forget. 
Dad's going crazy. <laughs> but I felt like God gave permission just to do something fun at that point because we, we, we had honored God, we had saved, we were you know, in a position. I'm just saying at the same time also, when you're doing something like that, if you do that and you only think your own family, what about the people that are serving you? You may say to kids, how big of a tip should we give this person? They may say, let's give the same amount as it costs for the whole meal. Okay, maybe we should do that. The point is you can do those kind of things if you get the right things in the order and begin to get in the right direction. There's room, okay? So last thing here is notice this last part. Then your barns will overflow. God is saying, make the connection. You notice what he says there at the end of verse 3? It says, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will be bursting with wine. In other words, he's saying is, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make it possible so that you have enough and even more than enough so you can share. I'm not doing that so you can become more self-centered, but I'm telling you, I will actually give you a kind of heart prosperity, a kind of life, practical ways, so you'll have something to share. And I want to do that. Make the connection. And the Bible says is that, you know, Consider what you're going to do. If you decide to plant only so many seeds, you're going to only see so many seeds back. But if you decide to risk and take more seeds, you're going to see a larger harvest. God says, make the connection. When, when you're trusting me with your finances, there's going to be 11th hour moments where I'm going to help you in ways that you'll be able to look back and say, God helped us. And there's just things like that that are so important. Second, God is saying, give me a chance. Give me a chance. Would you, I know you're scared. I know you wonder how the math works. I know it seems like you're swimming against the flow, but would you give me a chance to make you a wise person like I did with Zacchaeus? Will you let me show you what I can do in your life? Will you give me a chance? Third thing, God is saying, it's your move. It's your move. Now that you know these things, you're blessed if you do them, he said in John 13, 17, about these responses. Have you guys seen this verse, Malachi 3.10? I've come back to this verse so many times. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. The only time he says, give me a chance, put me to the test. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and the vine of the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. He says, give me a chance. Let me show you how I can be involved your finances. This last thing, to be wise if you're following along, what financial move do I need to make today? I want to show you something up here on the whiteboard. I know it's not artwork, so some of you may be sad and disappointed about that, but I want to show you this. This uh, right here is a move. You know, maybe while you've been listening today, God's been showing you some things. These are some of the things that may be happening even as we're talking. Maybe this morning he said, I want to help you get out of debt and I'll give you some practical tools I can help you get started. You can start today. You could do that. Oh man, for some of you, I want so much, God wants so much for you to know that kind of hope. Notice that also, saving for the future. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know this, that God tells us each one needs to carry their own load, not to rely on the government, not to rely on the church only, but to save for the future, to be diligent about these things like the ant is. Priority giving. You notice when God said, give God first, it means that 
what, what is the priority? Is he first? Is he second? Is he last? Is he in between? Where is he? Maybe he's, he's urging you to, to do more priority giving where he's the priority. Fourth, percentage giving. Did you notice that it said percent? God said tenth. He used percent. He didn't say amounts. Here's what I've learned. I've learned that a lot of people give by what feels right to them. So they go, man, uh, $500 sounds like a lot of money, even though that might not be anywhere close to the percentage that God's suggesting. And so they just go, well, it's a lot of money to me, therefore it's, it should be fine with God. God's saying, look, I just want to teach you how to give percentage because as you give percentage, it'll grow your heart more than just amounts. The next one, proportionate giving. Proportionate giving, this is a word to some of us that have more. Some of us give a percentage and it doesn't even phase us. We've been given the same percentage for years. But there are some single parents and some people, senior citizens in our church, they're faithfully giving the same percentage in our church, but proportionately, it touches their lives more profoundly. And one of the things about being a loving church is saying, I want to proportionately give in a way that my brother or sister next to me is also trying to honor God. The last one is progressive giving. Progressive giving. You know, have you been stuck? Maybe, maybe for the last 20 years you've been given 10% or saving, you know, a certain thing. God says, I want to, like, I know Trish, he's shown us different times. He says, I want you to bump that up a little more. I want to keep growing your heart. And so that I, there'll be more to just bless other people or do something if I prompt you to do it. But that's one way, if you're interested in handling money wisely, it's an opportunity. So these are some possibilities so what move maybe is God showing you that you could take to handle it even more wisely so that as you swing through balance, you can keep growing, keep being reminded? Let me pray. God, when a church family does this, it gets exciting. You read how in the book of Acts, People held their stuff loosely, handled it responsibly, honored you, and helped others. And we dream of that becoming even more a reality for our church family. Help us keep growing in this. Help us be a witness in this world of what can happen when a person allows you to teach them how to handle money wisely. For Jesus' sake and his glory, amen.